Jeremy and he has his own um, Instagram account now because really yeah what's the Instagram account I want to follow him it's called the official Jeremy the turtle amazing <laughs> <laughs> and that dear listeners was our holiday <laughs> amazing <laughs> welcome back to where love lives with me Lula LaVey haven't seen you for a while how are you all doing out there this is the first episode for 2022 goodness me so you know what i've decided to make it an absolute treat for all you gorgeous people out there by inviting into the studio my good pal miranda sawyer for a good old chinwag about the things she loves for those who don't know miranda is a journalist and broadcaster who in her own words is a professional gobshite whose passion for and knowledge of popular culture has made her one of the uk's leading figures in in the field oh yeah baby from her first break at smash hits back in the late 80s she has since written for just about everybody from gq and vogue through to the guardian and observer miranda writes about all sorts of things such as music art radio tv podcasts, film you name it and is one of the sharpest and down-to-earth women i know so settle in for a fun conversation that's for sure and listen out her awesome kid frankie also makes a cameo appearance if you like this podcast please do review subscribe like and share with your friends it means a lot to me and enjoy the show well lovely follow me Hi Miranda, welcome. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so before we get started, I just wanted to share something with you that happened to me last night. Okay. I was out and a woman came over to me and said, I look just like Sue Perkins. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> do I? Not yeah. there's no offence, I didn't take offence, but I was just, I was a bit kind of surprised. I was okay. like... So that's because you were wearing specs, I would say. No? Were you wearing your specs? Mm-hmm. And because your hair's gone dark. And a jacket, from... maybe. Okay, that's f- all right. That's really funny, isn't it? It's just like little signifiers. You don't know anything like Sue Perkins at all. Yeah, but there's nothing wrong with that. But I was just a bit, little bit surprised. There's nothing wrong with Sue Perkins, but you are about a hundred times more glam. Okay, right answer. <laughs> okay, the interview's over now. We can go home. <laughs> Has anyone ever said you look like somebody yeah. else? Um, I have been mistaken because my name is Miranda. And I'm kind of blonde and I write for various people. But I've been mistaken for Mariella Frostrup. Can you imagine? I mean, you know, ah. she's so good looking and I don't talk anything like her. That's a real compliment. Yeah, it's, it's a complete, I mean, a complete compliment. And then also for Marina Hyde, who's like a really brilliant writer at the at the Guardian. And both of them, I kind of listen and I go, if only. Like, like, if only I was as good looking as Mariella and if only I was such a great writer like Marina had like so I always just go yes that's me and you know sometimes I convince and the other one is um a little bit Victoria Wood which I get that's surprising not really it's kind of like my voice is less northern than it used to be it used to be more northern and big rap you know big slightly thyroidy eyes and blonde hair do you know what I mean like it is a bit I get that one you know who else I've had David Bowie Wow, a that, few times. That's so interesting. Yeah, but I don't think people. you look like him. Why do they think that? I don't know. Maybe it was when I had the, like now I'm dark. I had the blonde hair, but yeah. that's happened quite a few times. Nice, I'd like that. But a friend of mine, she was told that she looked like Pete Doherty, and I was like, really? So I had, and I actually, she just looks just like Pete Doherty. But which era? So skinny 20 years, era, skinny. Oh, that's good. As long as it's not the era where he's eating like you know a massive breakfast. For, yeah, no. For like you know a bet. 
very interesting start to this podcast. <laughs> but welcome. Um, obviously, we are friends and I've given you the big introduction just now. What have you been doing in the last few weeks? Tell us about what you've been up to. It was the school holidays and my, quite a lot of my life is based around holidays to do with school because I've got kids. In fact, one of them is sitting right next to me. Do you want to say hi, Frankie? Hi. Hi, Frankie. Hi, Frankie. <laughs> and that's Frankie making unusual cat noises, which she does sometimes, um, and giving me a cuddle. Um, so it was school holidays and we did not very much at all. And then right at the end of the holidays, me and Frankie thought, F it, we're going on holiday. And we went to Barcelona and that's that was right, really did. fun, wasn't it? Uh-huh. So what yeah. did you do? I mean, we were just swimming, hanging out, eating. What did you do, Frankie? You can. You're allowed to speak. Come over here. Come towards the mic. Okay. Okay. What was your? Tell me about. It. I'm going to move the mic towards you. <coughs> what Hi. did we do in Buffalo? Hi, Frankie. Hi. We went to loads of restaurants, I think, and we went into like we went into like bodies of water nearly every day. Like bodies of water. I don't know how to say it without saying pools and seas. So no, but that's yeah, yeah, really good. Yeah, we correct. Like that's yeah. very good. I don't know. Um. Uh. So we went to beaches and stuff. Uh. So what was it like being on holiday with your mum, just you two? Was she annoying? Yes. Yeah. In what way? Telling me to have, I have to go outside. Yeah, oh. sometimes. Because we, we stayed, so we stayed with an old friend of mine, but she's only got a little flat. And so we also stayed in a hotel. And the hotels were nice. And so Frankie basically at certain points just wanted to stay in the hotel. And I was like, no, that's not allowed. We have to go for a walk. We have to see things. We have to go to beaches. And she was a bit like, but I just want to stay in bed. <laughs> You tried to make me go to a church. Oh, yes, I tried to make you go to the Sagrada Familia. That didn't happen. (laughs) Right, move over now. No. You're off mic. Go on, budge over. So this is really interesting because one of your loves that you sent, you know, obviously you said that there's lots of loves, which is a really nice place to be in when you have so many, you don't know where to start. Yeah. No, that's really good. But one of the first ones uh, you picked was about interviewing people preparing for interviews yeah so this is kind of like because you're not normally um being interviewed you're always that you're always the interviewer so how does it feel being on the other side of it it's fine because it's you yeah. like i like i just feel like we're having a chat sometimes when it's the other way around if it's people i don't know or i'm not sure about then i can feel a bit edgy because i don't feel like i'm interesting enough i think you know mm. that's that can quite often be the case unless i've written something and then I've got a lot of things because it's just a lot of ideas. What I wanted to say about interviewing is when you interview somebody, particularly if you then have to write about them, it's like you fall in love with them, I think. And it's, it's interesting because you called it having like an intense crush for a short period. Yeah, yes, exactly that. So what happens is I think it's really different if you're, say, the PR like, say you're the PR with somebody, I think you also have to have a little bit of a crush on that act because otherwise you wouldn't really bother doing it. But if you're a journalist, what happens is you have a very short amount of time with somebody, especially now, you'll get an hour and that's it. It used to be that you could maybe hang out a bit, but that's very rare these days. And so you do your research and you read everything you can and you listen to their records or you um, watch their films and you watch them on YouTube and it's like you become an, a, a very quick expert in them. And I only interview people I like. So if people, if I'm asked to interview somebody I'm not keen on, I just think, 
No. I'm not bothered. I mean, why and obviously bother? I can't ask you who those people are. Yeah, but sometimes, I mean, you know, sometimes, but sometimes I do turn people down because mm. I think actually there's other people out there that really love this artist and they would be better than me. So what happens is you do all this research and then you have an hour with that person. And in that hour, you're a camera, you're a microphone, you're a kind of psychoanalyst, you're everything at, on that hour. You're just switched on. And you really look at them. You look at everything around them. So if you're doing it on Zoom, you look. Back, you tr- maybe try and get them to show you around the room. If it if they're in a restaurant, you look at how they deal with people. You check their jewelry. You look at what they're wearing. So it's all everything. the observational stuff, isn't it, to put into the article? Yeah, exactly. And because you want as much as you can in that limited time span, and you never really get more than an hour. And so you're really switched on at that time. And that's a little bit like being in love. You know, if you're really into somebody that's the same thing you are shining a light on them and they're shining a light on you and also the other factor is a lot of people who are famous are incredibly charismatic so I mean that's part of the reason why they're famous not all but a lot of the people are and so you you can be kind slightly blown away by that anyway and then you go away and you have to sit and think about it and you have to write it up and so you hear their voice again you it's really intimate, isn't it? It's really intimate. I think it's even more intimate, actually, if you um, film something. So if you're a tele interviewer and then you cut it yourself and edit it yourself, um, I think you can get even stronger kind of love vibes. So sometimes I'm interviewed on telly for like stuff and you talk to the editor and I can't remember what I said and they will quote back absolutely word for word what I said because they'll have seen it about five times, 10, 10 times, 15 times, more than that. And then when you write the piece, you want to get the most accurate, most kind of revealing portrait of that person. So it's, it is really like you're in love with them because you're writing about them and you're presenting them to an audience saying, this is, this is the person that did this. What an amazing thing they've done. What amazing music they've made. How brilliant they were in this film. What a fantastic... How, how many brilliant ideas they've had. And I'm going to tell you all about them and this is how good they are. And you just... You love them for about a week. And then you forget them. <laughs> and then you're on to then the next one. Them. You sluts. Well, that's it. You sluts. Yeah, I know. I'm awful. Oh, my goodness. It's like, it's, it's a really intense love affair. But the other thing, of course, it's completely unrequited. Like, they don't care. So do you think it's like not a genuine connection kind of thing? Oh, no, it's not genuine connection. But do, do you not, have, you know, have you not made friends with people after interviewing them? So some people I've interviewed a lot of times, you know, over the years, because, you know, that's just how it is. So there's some people, if I saw them, it would be like a like a friendship. But not loads, because it's a job, you know. There's I mean, a... hasn't anyone... You've, you've come away from an interview going, I really wish I was best friends with this person. Uh... I know that's happened to me after Jason Donovan. <laughs> I loved him so much. I was like, I just want to hang out with you all the time. Oh, that's so sweet. I loved like, him. Um, See, I said it. I loved him. Yeah, exactly. You can't... Well, they're just really charismatic, some people, aren't they? You can feel like that. And some people I did. Like, I used to knock around a little bit with Tracy Emin. And in the 90s, I mean, everybody knocked around with everybody else. So I was kind of friends with Blur and people like that. And because my husband's an actor, some he's friends with some famous people and mm. they are genuine friends. But actually, weirdly, once I become a proper friend with somebody, I can't really interview them because it seems a bit wrong. In I what think. way? Because even though you're in love with the person you're interviewing, you're also serving a purpose. So the per- people I'm writing for is, n- is not that person. I'm writing for an audience. I'm writing for the, the listeners. I'm writing for my mum. 
I'm writing for you. And so what I'm doing is I'm going, okay, I met Jason Donovan and he was absolutely amazing and this is why, right? But you could also say, I met Jason Donovan and he, he treated everybody around him like shite. And so I'm going to put that in as well. You know, every writer, lots of people say it, but every writer has a kind of like chip of ice in their heart, really. Because if they want to represent things as they see it, then you can't always be as uh, as nice as the person might want you to be, mm. really, you know. Has that happened with any pieces that you've written that someone's been upset? I once yeah. interviewed um, uh, Ralph Lauren. And, I mean, basically, it was a, I was the wrong person to do it. But, I mean, I described him as he is. He's tiny and he's really, really brown. And I called him something like, you know, a kind of wrinkly brown nut, or <laughs> which is what he looks like. I mean, he does. He That's really, really does. Uh-oh. And it got taken out. And yeah. I was really like, why did you take it out? And they were like, because we've so got be loads of Ralph yeah. Lauren advertising in it. It's not worth, that sentence is mm. not worth us losing the advertising. So that can happen. And then there's another thing which is slightly more subtle, which is if you're writing for things like The Guardian or The Observer, which I do quite a lot, so kind of left-wing publications, there's certain people that they want to be presented as almost perfect, right? And I can give you an example of that. So I've interviewed Stormzy a couple of times, once for The Observer, twice for The Observer. And then the second time I went to his house and while I was at the house, somebody came to the door and he bawled them out, basically. So he said... He buzzed them to the door. He's got like a gate, and he buzzed them to the door. Story, actually. Yeah. yeah, and he buzzed them to the door and said, um, and then he because he thought it was food, and then it wasn't. It was like they wanted some kind Trespasser, of charity thing. Wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. He wanted a charity thing, and he really shouted at the bloke and saying, "Look, you don't come to my door. Like, if you want to do that, email me. Go through the right places. You know, whatever." So I put that in the article, and the really the observer didn't want it in, and they didn't want it in because. They love Stormzy so much that they didn't want him to come over as negative at all. And I really argued for it to be put in because you cannot make people into kind of paragons. You know, Stormzy is Stormzy. He comes from the background he comes from. He is who he is. And, and you... isn't the whole point of uh, interviews is to see different sides of people as yeah, well? Yeah, and also, I just think you're setting somebody up for a fall. Mm. You're setting up a young black man for a fall mm. because, you know, it's not like he's got anger issues, but he will say what he thinks. And certain people might it's go... It's like it's not allowed. It's, like, it's not allowed, you know. And I think that that is really, really wrong. If you if you want people to be in a magazine or your publication, then offer a rounded view. Mm. Like, it's fine. As far as I'm concerned, he had every right to shout at that fella. It doesn't bother me. But they were like, ooh, you know. They just... I think you have to be really careful about setting certain people up like that, that they're completely perfect. And then you find out that, you know, something is goes wrong. I, I don't know if you've watched... Um, there's um, a documentary about Billie Eilish. I really recommend it. Actually. I haven't seen it yet. I want to. It's really, really good. And because you interviewed her quite I recently, I did interview her, and I, I really liked her. And she, in that, in the documentary, which is really intimate, there's a point where she's somewhere like Australia, and honestly, she works so hard. She's performed. She's done everything, and then after the gig, she does a meet and greet, and she just gets overwhelmed, and she walks off. Right, which I think fair enough, and. Because she walks off, uh, she's really direct the next day. She just said, you look, I don't know. Everybody's coming over and wants a photograph. I don't know who's important and who's not, who I can say no to, who I can't. So she just so she walks off and it got picked up and fans were like, oh, you've got too big for your boots kind of thing. And I thought, this is just outrageous. Why can't she walk off if she feels really tired and harassed 
you know, because there's a party straight after she's performed. You need to be able to see that about her. And I do, and you know, maybe this is another aspect of the kind of thing I was talking about with Stormzy. So fans can want their beloved, you know, person, like someone like Billie Eilish, to be perfect at all times. It's always like being public property. It's completely like being public property. So you have to behave in a certain way. Yeah, and also it's not even like you have to behave like really well all the time. Probably for people of colour and women especially. Yeah, completely. So you, exactly that. Mm. So with somebody like Billie Eilish, a lot of her fans... must behave. Yeah, exactly. A lot of her fans, her younger fans, liked her when she was more androgynous, right? And, you know, she had to get through her teenage years in the way that she did, but she's now a bit older and she might want to present herself in a more, you know, in inverted commas, conventionally sexual way, which is what she's doing. And they don't like it. And it's like, you can't do that. And I think, well, actually, she can do what she likes. She's the artist. You know, let people do what they want. And then as a journalist, you just represent what you see in front of them. You know, you have a snapshot, you have that hour. You used to get longer, maybe, you know, I used to go on tour with bands, but you have that hour, you have that snapshot, you represent it as accurately as you can, and that's it, that's all you can do. But it is really like being in love with them, you know. So who have you liked? Uh, you've interviewed so many people. Yeah. Who, which has been the best interview that you've done that you can think it's of? It's funny, isn't it? Because the best, actually, weirdly, the best interview could be an interview that goes wrong. <laughs> oh yeah Do you know like, I've mean? done that loads of times yeah because those sometimes when things go wrong I think oh great this is going to be such good copy like I interviewed Katie Price once and she hated me and it was awful but how did she hate you what she bullied she... me it was really weird it was years ago so I think she'd just been in the um I think she was just going into I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out these here. are the days of a face-to-face interview, Yeah, right? it was face-to-face interview. It was a bit ago. So it was before she'd even gone into there. And she, the Observer, uh, I did an interview with her. Was it? Yeah, it was the Observer. And uh, Rankin did the photos. She looked amazing. She hated the photos, of course, because no, photo, no uh, makeup, but she looked fantastic. And I interviewed her on a plane. And the plane went from London to Leeds. So imagine how high you were up. Yeah, I mean, basically you were up and then you came down. And, you know, I sat next to her, tried to interview her about her, one of her many autobiographies. Anyway, as soon as she arrived, she was late getting to the airport. And as soon as she saw me, she didn't like me. And well, she just made a, a, a Yeah, I mean, I get away. why. She probably thinks that if you look at me, that I'm the kind of person to judge her. Well, actually, I was quite a fan of her at the time. And she just ignored me completely. I got stopped randomly as I went through the through customs and she went, you only got stopped because you're scruffy. Like this. <gasps> That's outrageous. The first thing she said to me. And then I did oh the interview. Oh, my God. I did the interview. And then as we got down, we all got into a cab because she was going to go and open some nightclub or something. And she and I said, just something really innocuous, like, oh, God, I'm hungry. And she went, shut up. No one's listening. <gasps> so how, how do you deal with that? Well, I, what was really funny is I thought, OK, how do you feel? And I thought, I feel bullied. What I feel like, it brought me right back to school. Because mm. she's tough, really good looking. Um, she's just a tough girl, you know. And I felt like that. I felt cut off. And I thought, okay, well, that's interesting because that's what you feel like. You're being bullied and that's what you feel like. And you can put that in the article. And... But also because you're there to get the story. Well, yeah. Regardless, you still have to get the interview done. Yeah, that's and I got tough. the interview. It was tough. And then what happened was I interviewed her on the phone. Again, after that. I mean, you can turn it into an interview. It is an interview. If that's how she reacts to mm. me, then she reacts to me for that reason. She thinks she, I'm judging her when actually I wasn't. Mm. But then I did because that's what she said to me. So you just have to deal with what you're given, really, because it's all... I'd rather that than someone just yes or no. 
you know, someone being born. At least it's colour, right? Yeah, exactly. And it shows where her insecurities lie. She thought I would be judging her because she, she thought I was a clever woman judging her, is what I think. And maybe she was right. Do you think you've changed your interview skills from your younger journalistic self to the old, a slightly older? I think I'm more forgiving now. I'm just like, you get older and you don't... It's like why I don't interview people I don't like. Um, I'm more forgiving of people and I'm less um, prescriptive. So quite often I'll go in and I'll start a conversation. If it goes off somewhere, I'm quite happy about that, really. So who do you like to interview? Like, Who's your dream person that you haven't interviewed yet? Oh, there's so many, though. I mean, I was thinking the other day I'd really like to interview... You know, do you know Barbara Broccoli, who's like the producer on all the James no. Bond films? Oh, well, she's like this older woman, really fantastic. And she's been through all the James Bond films. She's like the producer. She's the one who drives it These through. are the kind of people that we don't really hear about. Yeah, I love... I mean, people like that, I'd love... You know, I'd love to interview her. What's interesting about your work, you interview a whole range of different people from different creative backgrounds. Yeah. Because, I mean, would you say that you connect more to the music side or the arts film side? What I've found as I get older is, you know, like creativity, any any form of creativity, you have an idea of what you want to do and then you don't do that. But the process of you trying to get there brings another piece of art into existence and that's the deal. That's the thing. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is an interesting thing to talk about. And musicians, I mean, it's really different. So if you're a musician, most musicians, not all, but a lot of them, the reason why they make music is because they can't articulate their emotions. Like, that's, that's how they... That's a form of expression, isn't that's it? That's how they express yeah. themselves. They can't say it to you direct. Like, if you've got, four, you know, particularly that cliche of four white guys in a band... Right. If they all went to therapy and said what they needed to say to each other, there would be no music. Do you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, you know, that's what it is. That's how they and talk. And it also people. helps people express how they're feeling when they can't express it. Of course. It. Yeah, absolutely. So that's kind of one aspect, which is music. But then if you think about someone like a director, a director, if you ask a film director what they do, right, they'll maybe they work on the script, maybe they get the script in. But you know what they do? They answer questions. Literally, a film director has stands there. And they will have 140 people asking 140 questions and they just have to say, yep, no, no, do it this way, do it that way, do it that way, do it. It's like being a mother. I mean, that's why I'm always interested in female directors because it's the same thing. It's just that's people asking questions yeah. all the time. And then being an actor, something completely different again. Like a lot of actors are really boring. Like they're really boring. They don't write the script. They don't direct the film. They're literally, you know, the joke is they're warm props. They're literally warm props. Oh my God, I've never heard that before. Do you not know that? Like, that's no. like, they hate being treated like warm props. But there is an element of it, you know, yeah. you set the lighting, you set everything. Finally, you put the actor oh in, God, put the yeah. camera up, you're the warm prop, you know. And if you don't have to say anything, you're literally a warm prop. Just stand there, look that way, look that way, thanks. So um, they can be boring. Honestly, actors can be really, really boring. And obviously not all of them. I'm married to one. Well, I was going to say, well, that's fine. He's not boring. <laughs> He's not boring. But, you know, some of them are boring, especially American actors, because they're very constrained by the idea of being a, P, you know, a PR role kind of thing. So out of those people, they will be the people that I find the least interesting. The most interesting very, very often are the artists, like fine artists, because they don't care. It doesn't matter what they say. Their work will get bought anyway. And they don't turn up with a whole load of PRs. They're quite bitchy, which I like. You know, it's they're great. 
Because you've done, because obviously um, one of the things that we did together was the Ryan Gander after party. We yeah. de- we DJed together up yeah. in Manchester. God, that was funny. Shall we talk about that yeah, for a bit? So because fun. you interviewed him for the culture show, yeah. right? And he is such an interesting character. Why didn't, I mean, we're going a little bit off piece, but it doesn't matter. So talk about, well, well we're not actually, because one of your loves is actually art. Yeah, exactly. So we can, we can talk, talk about, about that. that now. Tell us about his work and him. Okay, so Ryan Gander is um, an artist who's about my age, maybe a bit younger. So let's say late 40s, early 50s. Um, he makes conceptual art. And his art is actually quite hard to identify. So he doesn't have a style, which is one of the most interesting things about him, I think. So most artists, you know, you can spot, I mean, she's not a conceptual artist, but you can spot a Tracy M in a mile off, can't you? With Ryan, it's really, really hard to say that it's Ryan's, but it's all about ideas, I think. He, he just has lots and lots of different ideas and it's very, very hard to say, oh, this is his. And one of the things that he, for instance, one of the things that he did for both you and I is um, he did a self-portrait. But what he does is he does a self-portrait. Sorry, not a self-portrait. He does a portrait of somebody and he'll do it quite quickly with paint, with the palette of it. And then he doesn't give you the portrait. He gives you the palette. And that's the thing. So you have to imagine what the portrait is. And that, and while he'll do it, it'd be quite specific. Like the one he did for me was when we were at Freeze, I think, one time. And that was the the portrait. But he's also... There's another factor which people kind of ignore and kind of highlight, which is in a wheelchair. And and the thing I like about him is that is the kind of least interesting thing about him. (laughs) Like, he's just really, really That's the first thing people see, isn't it? The first thing people see, but it's the least thing that's that's the least interesting. So when did you come... You you met him. Tell us about how you first met him. Okay, so I met him out... So, like, I just met him out and I didn't know who he was. I'm really... Because isn't he from, like, where you grew up? He's from near me. So he's from near Chester, yeah. basically. So it's not that far from where I'm from. I'm from south of Manchester. The thing I really liked about him is I just used to see him at freeze or at art parties and he was always really fun and he had a really good dress sense. So he had a northwest dress sense. What does that look like? Oh, God, I don't know what to say. Like, like cap? Does he wear a cap? Yeah, he wears a baseball cap. He'd wear, like, if once he got the money, he'd wear kind of Montclair puffers. He'd wear, like, Stone Island, good trainers, you know, like posh football hooli. That's, that's, okay, got it. That's a northern <laughs> way of dressing, isn't it? And, um, and so, I, you know, I think, oh, there's that guy. He's really good fun and... He dresses well. So it was kind of like we instantly got each other because we we're both from the Northwest. And I just didn't know he was an artist. This is how bad a journalist I am. Oh, that's hilarious. You I just thought like... for years, I just thought it's that guy. He's really good fun. I really like him. Brilliant. We're going to have a right bumping laugh. into him in all the, all the art parties. Yeah, exactly that. I just didn't know he was an artist. And then about, honestly, about five or six years after I've met him, I thought, oh, you're an artist. I just didn't know. I mean, you know how it is? If you're used to going out in nightclubs, I think there's a way of being in nightclubs where you make friends with people and you make friends with them because you see them out. It doesn't really give have a fuck no, what they do. You have no idea what they do. Yeah. It's like that really weird thing. When I moved to London and people start saying, what do you do? And I think, I don't know. What do you do? I don't know. I get up. I eat. I go out. What are you talking about? Like nobody ever says to you in a nightclub, what do you do? Like nobody's interested. It's like, who are you? Are you having fun? Are you going to be a laugh? Are you a good dancer? Are you going to buy me a drink? Mm-hmm. You know, am I going to get off with you? Like, you know, I mean, that's that's the deal. It's mm. how entertaining are you in that moment? It's not what regardless do you do. of all the peripheral stuff. Yeah. yeah, you know, I mean, you know, like if you like, say you're in a nightclub or a party or whatever, and you find a group that seemed like a good laugh, and they go, "We're going to another party." You can quite easily get into a car with them. You won't even know their names. No, that's true. 
Like you would That's like, happened quite a lot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's more like, so when I came to London and people were like, hey, what do you do? What's your name? And they would say their first and second name. Like you're meant to go, oh, great. Like Miranda Sawyer, I'm a journalist. Like what? Oh, my God. Like I would never say that. No. Like, so I literally would never tell anyone what they what I did anyway. And I quite often would make up a different name if they asked me that. But so that's what I mean about meeting Ryan. So I just met him out and he was like that. He was like instantly fun, instantly like he'd say, oh, there's a party over here. Let's go there. You know, I mean, he was just like that. And wasn't pushing his agenda on you either. No, God. Which I, is good. Yeah. Because you know, yeah. some people have an agenda, let's face it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Some people do, of course. But yeah. Anyway. And then you saw his art- artworks and you're just like. Yeah. Like yeah. It. I was like, oh, they're really great. It's so funny, isn't it? Anyway, yeah, I think he's, uh, yeah, he's completely brilliant. At the moment, he is making a glass, an entirely see-through, real-life, real-sized version of a betting shop that's shut. Oh, my God, that's amazing. <laughs> that's what he does. Stuff like that. He's brilliant. He's absolutely great. So when you talk about a love of art, yeah. like, what is it about, is it, I mean, there's a general theme around sort of cultural artefacts. Yeah. So things, the, the end result of a creative process... Yes, so, I think. But it, is it all like? Is there any artwork or a genre of artwork you don't really like, or are you very oh, open-minded? That's interesting. Is there? Uh, I think bad theatre. I mean, everybody says that bad theatre can be like the most excruciating thing. However, I would say that bad theatre quite often unites me and my husband. <laughs> what in hatred or? Yeah, like I, we literally. I've been in a situation where, like, I've been at a a theatre and the whole theatre is absolutely ending themselves pissing themselves and I'm sat next to him and I think you hate this and so do I I absolutely hate it and those things are really really uniting like there's two incredibly popular plays really well loved by loads and loads of people that we went to and we both hate oh come on tell us which ones okay so one is called uh, One Man Two Governors with James Corden in it everybody I mean ending themselves we left we left. I thought it was so bad. That's bad. And the other one, can't actually remember its name. But anyway, it's a, it's an Irish play. Um, and uh, both of us found it incredibly patronising. And it's like an English version of Irishness. And everybody around us absolutely loved it. And we were just like, this is awful. Anyway, that's quite fun. I quite like it then. But I'm trying to think of a genre of stuff I don't really like. I mean, that really. But going back to like uh, the visual arts, like mm. with, with look, thinking about Ryan's work, like what is it about his work? Is it because it's playful? Or... It's playful and ideas. I think that sometimes, you know, conceptual art can be, it can leave you a bit cold because it's ideas rather than emotion, you know. But it can also, you know, what it's really good at is making you look at the world in a different way. And I like that. I just really like that. And sometimes it can. Um, do both and sometimes it can crystallize an idea that you had yourself but you'd never you know like all good art so like music in a way music or writing but expresses something that you can't express so someone else is helping you do that yeah exactly or sometimes you know when you read some writing you're like that's exactly what i thought but nobody nobody quite said a way of sort of articulating yeah and also there's something about you know when we think of this terrible government and how disrespectful they are towards the arts. And I think, okay, we've been on a lockdown for a really long, you know, for really quite a lot of the last two years. What would you have done without the arts? Like, what would you have done? Like, there would be no television, there would be nothing to read, there would be, you would have nothing. I'm okay, you go for your walk, but that would be it. You know, it's absolutely the stuff of life. Like, I can't, I can't imagine 
my life without it. It would be, I would be bereft, you know. I completely, you know, oh, yeah, it sounds no. like I'm an absolute tit, but I completely love no, culture. You know, I love, I love art. I love film. You know, I love experiences that somebody has thought about to create something for me. The only thing I'm not that asked about is food. Don't care. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I don't okay, like... interview's over. Yeah, that's it. Don't care about Bake Off. Don't care about any of that. That can all bog oh. off. You like eating though, don't you? Yeah, but I don't care about it that much. No. No, I don't. I really hate fancy restaurants. I know you don't like fancy restaurants. I just Because we're going out for dinner after this and I know, and I didn't book a fancy restaurant because I know you don't like them. No, I think they're a waste of time. There's and like... what I really like about you is you don't like real coffee, you like instant coffee. I do. I'm like, I'm a pleb inside. So <laughs> That kind of summarises. It's good though. I think it's healthy. Yeah. I'm going. I mean, I just want to talk a little bit about this idea of like love, loving art. Mm. I mean, I, I, I'm speaking about myself, but I, if I'm standing in front of a piece of art and it moves me so much, I get that kind of heart palpitationy thing. Yep. It's a kind of visual thing. I think sometimes when you're standing in front, it's connection. Yeah, it's connection, but also it's detail, isn't it? You know, so like if you spend time, say, with a piece of art that you that moves you. And if it's a visual piece of art, I mean, music does something different, but let's say it's a visual piece of art, you know, a painting, then you can look at it and you can look at it. You can look at it from far away. You can look at it from close up. You can look at it little tiny details. You can look what it does. You can walk away. You can come back. I mean, it can be amazing. I remember when I was younger, like 20, maybe, maybe a bit younger, and we went to the Museum of Modern Art in Oxford and I walked in and I saw, for the first time, a Francis Bacon uh, painting, and it was of a dog. And I'd never seen anything like it. I couldn't believe it, because it was one of the ones where, you know what, how Bacon paints. So it's like the movement, it captures the movement of a dog in a kind of void. But it's not quite a void, is it? So, like, you know, you can look at the what looks like a black void, and it's not really a black void, there's a tiny little line. And where is the perspective? And how does he capture the movement? I just couldn't... And there's something so bleak about his work as well. So there's something that intimates death around it, even though it's a, a, a picture of a moving dog. I mean, it's just but amazing. It, but it moved you. Oh, my God. I was like, I would, it wasn't even moved. I was blown away. I couldn't believe that somebody could paint that. I was just absolutely astonished. I mean, it can almost like, have you been moved to tears looking? Oh at yeah, yeah. Even yeah, though I'm thinking too. about it, like even yeah. thinking about that, I very powerful. It. Yeah, it's amazing. Absolutely amazing. Just... I went to see. Have you seen the Paul Arago show? No, I want to go. Oh, yeah. it's fantastic. And there's some stuff in there. There's a room. Oh, there's a room full of um, certain paintings, and there's a woman as a dog. Oh my god, it's just, it's fantastic, and it's about. Being a woman and being, you know, a part of a, 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 you know, being trapped by your body and in your body and angry and also part of giving birth. And it's just amazing. She is amazing. Do you like artists that you can identify with their storytelling? Uh, your own life in some way. Yeah, sometimes. I mean, sometimes I don't really care about the storytelling, you know, because it's not a literal story, is it? I used to always want to find the representation in there and it's not always there. You know, that's maybe a mistaken way to look at the art. It's like, what does it do for you? Like, I mean, is well, there... Sometimes a... you can't even explain it. Exactly. And I do find it... I mean, I find it knackering, but amazingly restful as well. You know, when I... When, you know, Frankie spoke earlier, when Frankie was really tiny, 
there's a really boring aspect about having a little baby and that is that basically i mean it's all the sleeping thing so they wake up and then they want to go back to bed and then there's a bit in the middle of the day when they're meant to have a nap right so that means that you could be sat at home trying to get them to sleep when they don't really want to sleep or you could do what i did which you just i just shoved her in a in a buggy and went for a walk and she would fall asleep and i just used to go to art galleries and i would go to the tate and it would go when it was like say tate britain when they were changing um exhibitions and so that meant that i could just sit you know i was knackered obviously <laughs> i've got a tiny baby i'm just like slightly zombied and i would sit in front of different paintings just happy to be sitting and the baby wasn't crying and it was all right and i'd just sit and look at this stuff and it would be fantastic it's very calming very calming spaces to be in as well generally yeah. quite quiet yeah i tell you what i'm interested in is how we want to have a relationship with culture so with sports events which i would count as culture we want to watch them all at the same time be part of that thing so millions and millions of people watching that one race or whatever lots of people watching tennis um, and with a gig, same thing. You want lots of people. That's part of the thing, isn't it? You know, you you, you commune with the people who are in that room. And with art, I find it really interesting because we just want to have a single personal moment with that art. Like if there's too many people around it, we get really hacked off, don't we? So it's like a very individual moment with a piece and of visual And also people art. read works of art in different ways. Yeah. So no one ever reads it the same way because we what we bring our own experiences to that relationship when we look at yeah, it. Yeah, and like books as well. I mean, books mm. are mad, aren't they? Think about books. Like, they're pieces of paper with tiny little black squiggles on them. Whole worlds. Like, whole worlds. How amazing is that? Like, you open it up and you're, like, somewhere else entirely and that's all... It triggers something in your brain that you could never explain to anyone. Like, if they didn't read. You know, how brilliant is so that? So how is it possible that the government... It doesn't see the value in culture. <laughs> because they've bought the... I mean, honestly, they've got the cultural kind of, you know, hinterland of a fly. I mean, they don't... I mean, they know nothing. I mean, I can't it's even... Depressing. Don't, 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 okay, me, no. We can't talk, talk about, about our new cultural minister. I mean, it's just absolutely outrageous. But anyway, we'll move on from there. What would you like me so to when, So when we're thinking about, um, like, being the audience to pieces of art... Yeah. Thinking about being the producer of those experiences. This yeah. is a very high fluting way of talking about us DJing. Yeah. Or the, or, that is, we, that's a form of art. Oh, it definitely is. I mean, I think, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I'm not a very good DJ. And the only times I ever get gigs is with you, Lulu. No. Well, and well, the only is... reason, I'm, I am the best to your Sean. <laughs> like, so can you remember the Ryan Gander I can remember gig? very, very clearly. So we went up and we were in Manchester and we followed a member of the Smiths who was DJ. It was Mike Joyce one. Oh, it was, yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah. And so Mike Joyce had been playing and he just played. I mean, you know, it was pretty basic what he was playing. He's a lovely guy. But this was, what, six or seven years ago, wasn't it? Yeah, and he was just playing, you know, kind of uh, everything that you would have played in the 90s, basically, wasn't he? I mean, it was And we fun. were headlining, but we, we didn't were... realise till we got there when we saw the poster on the wall. Yeah, and we, we were at the headlining. top. And then the where we actually DJed was on a stage, which was a bit intimidating, but also the DJ kind of uh, decks were on... Do you remember? They were on, like, um, a table that hung from the ceiling. And it was moving, it was wasn't moving it? moving around. Anyway, I was very inexperienced at DJ, so I'd brought, like, four or five different uh, CDs, but I've got to label them. Do you remember that? Yes. I didn't know any of the tracks. I didn't know what I was saying. I didn't know, you know, because I didn't... I thought they would just come mm. up and tell... I was just an idiot. But anyway, we got a little bit drunk, and we had a really, really... A little bit drunk. Oh, 
we had really good time, didn't we? And it was so good. It's so that, much fun. And when we finished, they wanted... Do you remember they were doing the classic Just One More? They wanted another track, didn't they? It was great. I loved it. So, yeah, it was really such good. Such an ego boost. But, but I mean, it was only good because of you. You were literally going, OK, press the button. I was holding now. your hand going, now. <laughs> And I remember at the end, Ryan was down the front raving. Yeah, it was great. I love doing it. I mean, it's really good, but I think that DJing is underrated. You really need to know what you're doing. I can't do it without you, Lulu. I mean, I really can't. Well, well, it's fun playing with someone else. We always have fun, though, don't yeah, we? Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely brilliant. Um, what so, other loves do we need to talk well, about? Well, you know, we're talking about music. I mean, obviously, we've talked about this idea of how a piece of artwork can help you express Oh, can it just, it's also, it doesn't even need to help you express something. It, it, it just can get you through the day, can't it? I, I mean, mean, you know, there's a, there's a kind of also um, a triggering of memories, I think, like tracks that you really love, especially music does this, isn't it? Like tracks that you really love that come back and you hear, and they might remind you of a specific time, but more they remind you of a, um, of a feeling or a moment. And, you know, especially as you get older, it's very nice to have ageless moments. And I think that culture can really give you that, you know, that if you're dancing to something and it's a piece of music that you love, there is something that's so ageless about that. You could be seven, you could be 70. It doesn't really matter. You're going to feel the same thing. Because you, you know? did you did talk about um, on your list, you did add music as being yeah. one of your loves. Oh, yeah, definitely. With, I, I mean, mean we, obviously, I mean, you know, we've talked a little bit about it, but going back to kind of, I think you said to me about having a piece of music that you just want to listen to over and over and over again. Yeah. And I get like that too. Yeah, and sometimes you live, it's terrible, isn't it, when you live in a, we live in a flat and the people downstairs like, like pick some awful track and they're just playing it. And they and just play it over and over again. Yeah, Robbie Williams or something. I remember oh no. that. Oh God, it's just a nightmare. What I mean slightly about that is I have records that I will go back to like over and o over and over, you know, and they remind you the first time you heard them, but they also mean something new. And, you know, there's certain tracks that will automatically make me cry because of when the first time I heard them. There's um, a Mary Lou Lord version of uh, a Bob Dylan song called, um, I can't remember the title, but I'll, I'll play it to you. And when I hear that song, um, it makes me cry because it reminds me of my granny dying. Mm -hmm. And even thinking about it now, how she sings it can make me like feel that same feeling. I've seen love go by my door, it's never been this close before. Never been so easy or so slow. I've been shooting in the dark too long, when something's not right, it's wrong. You're gonna make me lonesome when you go. There's purple clover, Queen Anne's lace. Crimson air across your face You could make me cry You don't know I don't And there are just certain songs that, that you hear And they, without even meaning, they have It's a bit like seeing an old friend, isn't it? Because you see them and you know What they look like when they were young And you know what they look like now And you know all those things And so, you, you know you have a woman come up to you and say, you look like Sue Perkins. You don't look anything like her anyway. But also, I can see you now, and I can see you, like, five years back, ten years back. You know, I can see who you are because all of those layers are still there. Mm -hmm. and, and music does that as well, mm -hmm. doesn't it? It brings you back to a time mm -hmm. or or it's freighted with all that meaning, all that time that you've heard it, the times that it's helped you or the times that you've danced to or the times it's made you feel great or the times it's helped you with sadness. And... It can, it just means more and more. And there's, 
sometimes I used to really mourn the fact that I couldn't hear a track live anymore or played live. I mean, by a band. You know, imagine we can't ever watch David Bowie playing any of his music anymore. Not in real life. I mean, that's just awful. That's quite sad. I never thought about it like that. And I used to, like, there would be certain tracks I just really wanted to hear played by a band again. And one of them, actually, because I used to, in the 90s, I just, I mean, I just saw a lot of bands over and over and over. I saw Iggy Pop a million times, but I saw Blur over and over and over and over and over again. I just saw them millions of times. And then they split up, didn't they? And there was a particular track called Trim Trab, which isn't even like, you know, I could argue isn't even one of their best, but it's just something about it I really like. And I thought, I'm never going to hear them play that track again. It's just, I'm really gutted. A gun was stopped. I took my time. All those losers on the piss again. That's just the way it is. That's just the way it is. And then they reformed and they played a really small gig at Goldsmiths. It was really loud. I remember I had to wear earplugs. And they played Trim Trab. And I was so overwhelmed that I walked half the way from Goldsmith back to Brixton. And you know how long that is. I was just absolutely overwhelmed because I just thought I may never see that again. And, and it's so you're kind of grieve, a bit of grievance. Yeah, it was absolutely grieving. brilliant. And tragic and amazing mm. at the same time. And then I remember just being so high off the whole thing that I, you know, practically walked back home to Brixton. That's miles and miles. <laughs> Young lady, I hope it wasn't too late at night. It was you late saved. at night, but I had trainers on as ever. Okay, just checking. I mean, what have you listened to recently that's kind of moved you in a similar way to looking at a piece of art or something that's been really like a real memorable? Well, piece it's funny. Of music? I mean, this is not like new music or anything, but um, like last night. Uh, Smiley had to get together just 20 tracks of Northern Soul just for something to do with work. And it was for a particular scene that he's got to, his character's got to dance in. And we just went through all these Northern Soul tracks. It was so great. It was so exciting. Do you know there's a song that is called, I can't sing it, because, but it's called something like, Go Put on, on My Red. It. it goes, Put on My Red Dress. And it's, it's just yeah. amazing. It's, and it's so rude and sexy and it's got like you know it's got spaghetti straps instead of sleeves it's just amazing and she goes i'm going to a party looking good <laughs> it's such a hot track man even now i could like woo, woo. But, it, but listening to music can just alter your mood almost instantaneously yeah i mean it? it's amazing the randomness of it don't you think also mm. like if you're listening to the radio and a track comes on and you don't even or you just switch the radio on and you think oh my you know you just change plan everything it. yeah you find yourself in bits doing the washing up you know I can't listen to classical music um, stations like Radio 3 or anything because just the emotion in all those violins, I wouldn't get anything done during the day. Like, if I put that on on in the morning, nothing would happen. I'd just be, like, in bits. (laughs) I think, I mean, as a DJ, like, if I'm... There's been many a times when I've had to go and work when I've had a really shit day or something quite horrible has happened in my life and it's been a real lifesaver. Playing music can literally just take me out of that place. Yeah, it's amazing. And totally move myself as a kind of connection with the audience. I think being a DJ and playing music can also 
Yeah, there's a love there, isn't there? I mean, imagine how much love it is. You know, if I think about the times, some of the amazing times I've had in nightclubs or festivals or gigs, and, you know, it's such a cliche to say the love in the room, but it's a real force. You can feel it. You know, you know, there was um, there used to be an idea amongst, I don't know if it's around Renaissance people, but the whole universe was made up of music and maths a bit, actually. Because That's right, it's connected. Yeah, and and I kind of still believe that. <laughs> so I, there's part of me that thinks, if you think about all the art forms and dance and music are the ones that are absolutely fundamental to human existence. Like, all the, you know, it's great that we can write, it's great that we can make art, that's absolutely brilliant. But if you take away music and dance, you kind of take away a fundamental part of the human existence and that can't be expressed in any other way That's why it's very difficult during lockdown. Yeah, that was taken really away from hard. People. Yeah, yeah, very difficult. I mean, it's interesting because I, I, you know, I, I had to kind of get back into DJing again, and it took me a while to kind of start getting back into reading crowds and seeing people dance again. It's kind of a bit weird. Yeah, but I think people also felt it a bit strange coming in on the other side. Yeah, I bet. sort of relearning, you know, relearning how to be with a lot of people. But I think well. the best compliment when we're talking about expressing helping people express. Someone came up to me once and goes, "That record you just played just explained how I felt." just now wow how brilliant that's so amazing you know and i was just like okay cool so it's really interesting i we could talk about this for hours yeah well lovely follow me down deep down we're lovely i'll tell you what i'd say something as well because i know that frankie would like frankie was been in the room she's left the room now but i think i mean it's obvious to say that you love your kids that's the most basic thing in the world and i'm not gonna say it you know but what I would say that's really interesting and that I really love about having kids is sharing your life with someone you didn't expect to. <laughs> so, like, you know, you set up home with someone and you don't know them entirely, of course, but, you know, you love them and you set up home with them. And then gradually these other people come into your life and you think, who are you? Like, <laughs> who are you? Like, I don't know who you are at all. You've, like, arrived from somewhere and I don't know who you are. And to... Get to know someone as they get older is just amazing. I find it really amazing. And obviously I love my kids, but it's more like the process of them growing up. I really, really love that. I really love to see what they're into. I really like watching them play sport or with their mates. Or It's a, it's a kind of astonishing privilege, I suppose is the right thing. But, you know, the main thing is they're not you. You think they're going to be you. They're nothing well, they're like not. you at all. Like they're like another well, person well, we that you so- don't know. Sophie Hayward was on this podcast yeah. talking about the love she has for her daughter, and we you know we talked a lot about that love being her love story. Yeah, I mean that's something you could probably empathise with as well. Yeah, definitely. But it's also like um, it's the process of it that I find really amazing. You know, incredibly frustrating can be really difficult, but the the fact that they're there being themselves, <laughs> it's just like you look at them and you think, who are you? Like, where did you come from? I mean, I know. My mum used came. to say that to me. Where did you come from? Yeah, I mean, it's like, it's amazing because obviously I know where they come from and I can, you know, I have the scars you to prove them out. it. <laughs> I have the scars to prove They came out the sunroof. And, um, <laughs> but like, you know, I'm, like, where did they come from? Because I don't know. They are absolutely the mums, their own selves. And even if you might share certain tastes or people go, oh, you look really like alike, they are completely their own person. It's amazing. Like, I just think, oh, hello. <laughs> in my house <laughs> hello <laughs> because they change and they, they'll be like they've changed a hell of a lot over the last year yeah and a half. like even over like even over like over the kind of covid lockdown you know they start off and they like one thing and by the end of it you're like 
Oh, you don't like that? Oh, right, you're completely... Oh, you're you're different. Okay. (laughs) And you wouldn't imagine your life in any other way, would you? Well, it's hard. I mean, because kids just take over, really. So it's very hard to imagine it, and I wouldn't want to imagine it any other way. And I do... Yeah, it's the fact that they are not you. It's just a constantly brilliant thing. They're not you. Like, you think they're going to... You understand them. Do you want them to be more like you? Are you happy with the fact that they're No, I just think there's a kind of arrogance to having children where you think you'll be able to understand them, you'll be able to, you know, mould them in a certain way. It's absolute bollocks. I mean, you just have to make sure they're safe and make sure they're happy and you feed them and stuff, and they just get on with it, honestly. And you didn't talk about pets either. Cause got... Oh, we got a doggy. I know, and you love your doggy. Yeah, I love everything. I'm <laughs> like a little friend of all the world. Yeah, I love our dog. I mean, but that's because our dog loves us. So basically, you know, you leave the room and go to, you know, go to the toilet and she goes down and she goes, oh my God, you're here. Ah, <laughs> oh, the party started. This is amazing. Your, house, your you. household is very busy, I've got to say. Yeah, There's a lot going on. There's a lot going on and the dog is in the middle of it going, I love you. Oh, I love you. I love you. I love you. So of course I love her. <laughs> I think I'd like to be a dog, actually. It's That'd brilliant. Good, she's it? just always like, she's just super happy if we're all in the same room. So what do you think about this idea of looking at like love outside of the romantic relationship, like themes that this podcast podcast is all about I think it's incredibly I mean that's what life is about it's lovely I mean you know I because we do get that we do get that kind of love narrative yeah thrown down you know shoved down our throats all the time yes it's boring I think it's boring I mean I think the least interesting thing about me is the fact that I'm married with a husband I mean I'm trying to write a book about long-term relationships I wanted to ask you about how that book was going well it's interesting because like what I've just written a thing about how it wasn't in my plan. I wasn't interested. Like, I just thought I would be a spinster. Go spinsters! Like, I was <laughs> That's like, me! I'm yeah, a spinster! Exactly! Spinsters I'm are the it. best, man. Like, that is absolutely... I'm a spinning spinster. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, they used to call it a bachelorette, didn't they? Bachelorette. And I kind of think, like, like that was my plan. Like, maybe there were going to be kids, but, like, the idea of a fella was not really on my plan. And I do, I absolutely love my husband. I'm very grateful that he loves me, you know, that he is brilliant. But I think it's the least interesting thing about our lives. Because it's like, so yeah, great, so what? <laughs> you know, that's like, you know, what's more interesting is trying to maintain a long-term relationship, because that is really hard. I would say that is really difficult. And it has to do with love, but it has to do with uh, the understanding somebody, having love towards them, even if they drive you mad, um, letting them be who they are, all those kind of things, which they're, they're actually quite hard. Do you think the book that you're writing now is exposing the heteronormative narrative yeah, and or it's shedding like, light onto what it's really like. Yeah, and it's like that. You know, there's an assumption, isn't there, that it's the peak of what you yeah. can do. You know. It's like the you know yeah well done the goal tick. yeah the goal and like there's you know the law pushes you towards it there is advantages mm. to being married you know literal tax advantages mm-hmm. and state supported absolutely and there's an element of that that also means that you can't look at it because it's a bit like okay you've done that off you go mm. and there's no training that there's an assumption that everyone gets it right they're all having the right amount of sex they're all like having the right right amount of um uh communication with each other that they all understand it there's never they never get bored they never have rows they never you know there's no unpicking of anything and that's what i'm interested in really it's the there are certain things that you can stub your toe on in a relationship and do you carry on stubbing your toe on them or do you leave the relationship or what do you do with it you know 
because, you know, we change. I'm really different. Smiley's really different from when we first met. I mean, we were, you know, drug we animal lunatics. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was. <laughs> well, we, I think we all change, don't we? It's, you know, every, I change every year. I'm yeah. changing constantly. Yeah, so how do you accommodate that? How can you have that in a relationship? You know, you need to be... I have be no a... answers. I haven't been yeah. very good at long-term relationships. But it's hard. It's really, really hard. I think I've only ever had two, you know, and they haven't been that long, really. Yeah, years. it's really, really hard. And I think that that's an interest. It's like an interesting but project. I hear, you know, people in my family have been together for 30, 40 years. Yeah, it's an interesting project, I think, you know. And sometimes I think the way that you do it is have really low standards because that'll help you. So that sounds a bit depressing, though. Yeah, but I mean, you know, I have low standards, low expectations, low expectations, low standards, and you probably get through. No offense, Miley. (laughs) No, but I mean, I think you know what I mean more about that is like, do you want your other person to be your perfect idea of that person, or do you want them to agree with you all the time? Do you want to be united and everything? Because that is not going to happen. So you need to lower those weird ideas you have around love and long-term relationships because it's not going to happen like that. So it has been writing the book. How close to are you to finishing it? Oh, God, not close enough, Lula. No, oh, fuck. Yeah. yeah. Let's wrap up this yeah. podcast with a piece of advice from you to the listeners about how to sustain a happy long-term relationship. Oh, goodness. Um, what I think is if the person that you're with if you still make each other feel good about each other, it's something to do with you being not your best self, because obviously we can't always be our best self. But if you like the person you are with that other person, I think that, that your relationship will last. And also, I do really, really believe in, you know, letting that person do what they want and need. Like, possessiveness is useless. Like, I'm great. I agree. Like, I, you know, if he wants to divorce me, he's an idiot. Like, if really? I want to divorce him, I'm an idiot. He's great. So, like... Get over all of that and have a look at the person and think, what do they want to do? Is it going to work with us? Where do we want to be? What do we want to do together? What do we want to do apart? And you'll probably be all right. Like I said, like bad theatre unites us. But I can't take Smiley to certain things because I know he won't enjoy it. So what's the Mm. point? You know, I'll take you instead, Lulu. Yeah, well, there you go. (laughs) Win-win. I always think of a long-term relationship a bit like a quest. You know, like... Someone like Harry Potter goes into like a forbidden forest, right? And he has his chums with him. And I kind of think it's a bit like that. Like they separate off, you separate off for a bit and go and battle a few dragons and then you come back together and you're still on the same side and one of you's in front and then the other one's in front and then you buy by each other's side. You know, it's like that. It's like a kind of quest and you've got each other's back and you're going to go through and some of it's fun and some of it's really difficult, but you know that that person, you can rely on them and they'll rely on you. That's really nice. And, you know, I feel that like that about some of my close friends. Yeah, exactly. It's the same yeah. thing. You just think, okay. Very similar, yeah. Yeah. Like, if we'll set off together and we'll still be together mm. at the end, it's fine. It's weird, isn't it? It's commitment. You know, I'm a, I was always a commitment phobe. And actually, once you're committed, once you've just switched that little switch on that says, okay, it's on now, then that's it. Mm. You don't have to think about it and it's fine. And with that on switch, let's turn it off. <laughs> and... Let's end the interview. It's yeah. been really delightful having you on the oh, podcast Oh, it's such today. love. I love talking to you. Little. And I think we should go and have a glass of wine. Yeah, let's do that. Okay. Hey. Thanks so much. We're lovely. We're lovely. Follow me down. Deep down, we're lovely. 
You're going to have to edit me yabbing quite um, a lot. I've got, look, I need to edit all my uh, uhs out as well. You've been listening to Where Love Lives with me, Lulu LaVey. My special guest today has been professional gobshite herself, Miranda Sawyer. Check out her brilliant show, Sound and Vision on Six Music, and we look forward to her new book coming soon. This podcast was recorded at the Slick Studios at Soho Radio and was edited and produced by me. Do follow me at Dr. Lulu LeVay. I promise I won't bite. Well, lovely. Well, lovely. Follow me down.